It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Brett Baer, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, September 22nd, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. The next Republican presidential debate is next week, and former Vice President Mike Pence keeps distancing himself from his old boss-turned-campaign rival. Donald Trump makes no promise today to govern as a conservative. In fact, I see... I see my former running mate and some of his imitators in this primary uh, who are you know, walking away from those timeless conservative principles. I'm Madison Allworth. As college tuition keeps rising and student loan debt continue to mount, many young Americans are questioning the value of a four-year degree. I think for a long time, part of our national rhetoric was that college is just sort of this golden ticket to the middle class. Just go to college and you'll be just fine. But now the discourse about college has become very different. And I'm Paul Batura. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. We're just five days away from the next Republican presidential debate. And someone on the rise since the first one is Nikki Haley. I don't need to tell you how bad things are. That's Haley campaigning in New Hampshire. Biden has led us down a socialism creep. The former South Carolina governor is in second place in the latest Fox Business poll in her home state. And Haley's third in Iowa, just behind Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Of course, former President Trump is the leader by far at 46% in both states, saying in Iowa Wednesday... We're going to... Bring our country back from the dead. Our country is dying. It's dying. When you look at what's happening at the border, when you look at all the things that are going on, our country is in such serious shape. But like last month, Trump will be a no-show at Wednesday's debate on Fox Business and Fox News Radio. His former vice president, Mike Pence, sixth in the Fox News power rankings, will be there. I'm very excited. It's a great privilege to be on that stage. Because that debate stage will be at the Reagan Presidential Library in California. Reagan got us standing tall again. Uh, He was the first to say, make America great again. That was the theme of his campaign in 1980. And so to be there and to have a chance to reflect on my own conservative vision for this country and, um, and my belief that it's staying true to those conservative principles brought us back then. It, it led our administration during the Trump-Pence years, and I believe it's a pathway forward for America as well. He was elected 43 years ago now, 44 for next year. There's been changes in the Republican Party, obviously. There's there's a lot of populism now among Republicans. Obviously, the former president, the front-runner in the race, is considered a populist among Republicans. Well, that, that's true, but although I, I, I would tell you that, you know, in, in 2016, Donald Trump promised to govern as a conservative. And while a lot of his rhetoric was more populist in nature, uh, we did govern as conservatives for four years. We rebuilt our military. We, we were the leader of the free world. We stood with our allies, stood up to our enemies. We, we cut taxes, rolled back regulations, promoted a free market economy, and of course appointed three of the conservatives to the court that gave America a new beginning for the right to life. But uh, as I've said since I announced, I mean, the, Donald Trump makes no promise today to govern as a conservative. In fact, I see I see my former running mate and some of his imitators in this primary uh, who are you know, walking away from those timeless conservative principles, ignoring a national debt, 
walking away from America's commitment as leader of the free world, and uh, and also as as people heard this last weekend, the the, uh, the president's backing away from an unapologetic commitment to the right to life. I think when people look at me, they'll see that I'm the most consistent the most qualified, the most experienced conservative in the race. And I'll lead not only through this campaign, but I'll lead America back to those same principles that have always made us strong and prosperous and free. But the former president will not be on the debate stage again. He will not be there with you all at the Reagan Library on Wednesday. Good or bad, do you think? I think it's a missed opportunity for the president. And I think it's a missed opportunity for the American people because I think there are these differences now. Yeah. Uh, Would you I, like I really to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, like, directly? Uh, hey, look, I, 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 people ask me what it'd be like to debate Donald Trump. I tell people I've debated Donald Trump a thousand times, just never with the cameras right, on. I mean, right, we, right. Look, I, I want people to know that I think the way forward in this for our country is to build a military fitted to the times and be the leader of the free world. And that means standing with our allies. That means continuing to stand with the, the military in Ukraine as they seek to repel the Russian invasion. It means standing strong against Russian military provocations in the Asia Pacific. And, uh, and it also means standing without apology with our most cherished ally, Israel. And when it comes to uh, fiscal issues, I we cut taxes during the Trump-Pence years, the largest tax cut in tax reform in American history. Uh, I'd, I'd welcome the opportunity to hear the president explain how his plan to impose uh, a, a, a tariff on all goods coming into the United States would help American families and wouldn't, in fact, be the largest tax increase in American history. The Tax Foundation actually suggests that... Uh, that his 10% tariff on all imported goods would cost 500,000 American jobs. Look, I, I want to make the Trump-Pence tax cuts permanent, and I want to cut taxes in ways that will encourage economic growth. And on the right to life, as I said, I'm pro-life. I don't apologize for it. I'll be a champion for the right to life in the Oval Office. Uh, we'll stand for a minimum national standard. Uh, at the federal level, but I'll also champion even greater protections for the unborn in states across the country. There was quite a bit of sparring on that abortion issue in the first debate. There was. Nikki Haley wants maybe more 16 weeks, and you, some of them don't want a federal standard at all. They want the right. state's rights. It's not easy. The Republicans aren't united on this. Right. Well, I think Republicans are united in a commitment to the right to life. I mean, I, I honestly believe that overturning Roe versus Wade was a historic achievement that's given our nation a new beginning for life. But it's energized Democrats, too. Well, it it it, it uh, de the Democrats get animated about it, but there's an awful lot of pro-life Democrats across the country and pro-life Americans. I think it's all about how you talk about it. For me, it's always been to stand without apology for the right to life, but also in the same breath express compassion and support for women facing crisis pregnancies. We've got to demonstrate as a nation that we're as committed to newborns as we are to the unborn. I'll, I'll do that as president of the United States. But we did have differences on that debate stage last time. And, and uh, look, some people think that the Supreme Court returned the question of abortion to the states. I think they returned it to the states and the American people. The American people elect presidents, they elect senators, they elect congressmen. And while I'll champion the greatest possible protections for the unborn in states around the country, I do believe the time has come for a minimum national standard. Uh, I don't want to leave unborn children 
in California and Illinois or New York. Uh, I don't want to leave them uh, exposed to late-term abortions and the policies of the radical left. I think we ought to have a minimum national standard, but I'll continue to spend uh, all of the rest of my life working to restore the sanctity of life to the center of American law. Mr. Vice President, you mentioned Ukraine. There is a big debate within the Republican Party about aid to that country in the battle against Russia. There are some of your fellow conservatives who say no more. We've given enough. And not only that, we want an accounting for everything we've given so far. Obviously, on the debate stage, you guys sparred with Vivek Ramaswamy about what to do about Ukraine. Why such a division among conservatives? I think it's I think it's mostly a reflection of the lack of confidence in Joe Biden as commander in chief. Look, okay. that, that disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan unleashed the enemies of freedom around the world. I mean, Russia is now, you know, waging an unconscionable war uh, in Ukraine. China continues its military provocations. We just saw Iran. Iran kicked out <laughs> uh, nuclear inspectors after the Biden administration transferred $6 billion to them. So I, I think this is a moment uh, where America needs to stand strong uh, with our allies and achieve peace through strength. It's Look, Joe Biden has failed to explain our national interest in Ukraine to the American people. It's not – he's given these gauzy speeches about defending democracy mm-hmm. in the world. Look, the American people uh, need a leader in the White House that will say, look, like Ronald Reagan said when he articulated the Reagan doctrine, he said, look, here's the deal. If you're willing to fight the communists in your country, we'll give you the means to fight them there so we don't have to fight them. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt uh, that if, if the United States were to back off or, or even withdraw its support from the Ukrainian military and, and Russia were to overrun Ukraine, I have no doubt that that Russian military would soon cross a border of a NATO ally where we would be required to send our armed forces in to fight. Like Poland or something like that. Uh, Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, these are all countries right on the cusp and Vladimir Putin has made no secret of the fact that he would like to reassert the old Soviet sphere of influence in Eastern Europe. And he's using his military to drive it. I think by continuing to provide strong American leadership of the free world, by continuing to give the Ukrainian military what they need to repel that invasion, uh, will ensure a more peaceful future and will send a message to China uh, that the United States and the West will not tolerate nations, authoritarian nations, redrawing international lines by force. If you're president, what happens with Taiwan if China decides, okay, this is our territory, we're taking it back? If I'm president of the United States, we're going to build a 355-ship navy. We're going to make sure that we spend uh, at least 3.5% of our GDP. Joe Biden's been working to cut military spending. In fact, our spending hasn't even kept up with inflation. Then there's another cut in the offing. Uh, after the after the debt ceiling deal was passed, a one percent cut across the board in military spending. Bottom line is, I'm going to build a military so strong that we can defend our nation. Uh, we can continue to in, in to to stand tall as leader of the free world, uh, and we're going to we're going to sell arms to Taiwan so they can defend themselves. The issue here is deterrence. You, what you want to do is make sure that America has the strongest military on the face of the earth that our allies have the means to defend themselves. That's how you achieve peace through strength. The debate that's coming up next week, the first one spent a lot of time on January 6th. Do you think now we're past that, we don't have to spend so much time on it? Do you hope not to? Well, you know, I'll always believe by God's grace that I did my duty that day. 
kept my oath to the Constitution of the United States. Um, it continues to be a difference that I have with my former running mate and, and at least one other candidate uh, in this field. But look, elections are about the future. And, and I, I do hope that it, in, the, in the Fox Business debate that's going to take place next week, that we're focused on the things the American people are dealing with every day. Look, American families are hurting. Inflation is up 17 percent since we left office. The war on energy has caused gasoline prices to be up 60 percent. Americans are living paycheck to paycheck at two out of three American households. I want to deal with the crises here at home, all these man-made crises that Joe Biden has initiated from the crisis at our border to the war on energy and to inflation out of control. I'm going to talk about those issues, and my hope is that we'll focus, we'll focus this contest and this debate on, on whether or not we're going to meet this moment uh, with leadership that's grounded in those timeless conservative principles that Ronald Reagan brought to the fore decades ago and have animated our movement or whether our party's going to going to uh, you know uh, answer the siren song of populism unmoored to conservative principles i think republican voters are going to choose those traditional conservative values and when they look at this field they're going to see that i'm the most consistent the most qualified conservative in the field that'll be ready day one to bring america back well, we look forward to the debate on wednesday former vice president mike pence one of the republican candidates for president in 2024 it was an honor to have you here thank you so much great to see you did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion if that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life pro-family views then Every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. This is Paul Batura with your Fox News commentary. Coming up. The price tag of a four-year college education continues to rise. For public institutions, the cost is up 79% since 1995. And in that same time, student loan debt increased over 700%. How America Works host Mike Rowe has been outspoken about the drawbacks to four-year degrees, telling Fox Business in April. We've told an entire generation that the best path for the most people is the most expensive path. Never in the history of Western civilization has a thing become more exponentially expensive faster than the cost of a four-year degree. At the end of August, the Biden administration unveiled the SAVE plan, their second attempt at federal student debt forgiveness after the first suffered a defeat in the Supreme Court. President Biden saying, You know, I'm a firm believer in education beyond high school, and that should be a ticket to the middle class. As long as I'm president, my administration will never stop fighting to deliver relief to borrowers and bring the promise of college to more Americans. And while young Americans are still interested in college degrees, data shows many are now skeptical that college is worth the price. 
A Wall Street Journal poll found 56% of Americans believe a four-year degree isn't worth the investment. So where are some high school grads now looking instead? Trade schools. These are careers that they're within their grasp in a short time. Right now, we probably have 20 jobs for every graduate. That was Tom Eastwick, president of Hohokus School of Trades, sharing the success of his trade program on Varney & Company back in May 2022. Data from the National Student Clearinghouse shows trade programs are seeing enrollment numbers jump between 10 and 20 percent, while college enrollment has dropped well below pre-pandemic levels. But why? What has some Americans starting to doubt the value of a four-year degree? I think what we're seeing more broadly is that people are becoming a bit more skeptical about the value proposition of higher education, education after high school, at least in the traditional sense, looking at associates and bachelor's degrees and going that traditional route. I think that's actually a pretty good thing. Dr. Beth Akers, a higher education expert, former White House economist, and the author of Making College Pay. I think for a long time, part of our national rhetoric was that college is just sort of this golden ticket to the middle class. Just go to college and you'll be just fine. But now the discourse about college has become very different. Number one, we have more data than ever before. So people can see for themselves that some college degrees just don't pay. And at the same time, we have lawmakers and cultural leaders going on and saying, you know, this debt is terrible debt. I mean, maybe these aren't great investments that young people are making in their lives. And so I think it's encouraging people to be more skeptical because I think for too long, people haven't been skeptical enough. Yeah. I mean, I will say growing up, my parents were very insistent that I go to college. That was pretty much a non-negotiable in the Mm -hmm. house. You know, so with that, I kind of come at it from that perspective. But what are the things that people are starting to notice that, hey, maybe this isn't this golden ticket that was sold to us? Yeah, I think that used to be the case. People believed that once you had that bachelor's degree, you were sort of set. You'd bought your way into a class, a way of living in American life. Um, the fact is, that's really not true. I mean, college is a tool. And like any tool, if used correctly, can be really powerful in transforming someone's earning ability. And we see that to be true, continue to this day, even with high prices. But a tool misused can get you into a lot of trouble. And so I think what we're seeing is that people need to make savvy decisions about where they're spending on degrees, what they're studying, and where they're going if, in fact, they want to see that return. Okay. I think that brings us to debt. If it is misused, it does not guarantee that golden ticket. And we start Mm -hmm. to see that with student debt. If you're leaving with you know copious amounts of debt payment and with a career that does not give you any promise of ever being able to pay that off, that golden ticket starts to look a little sour. So let, let's get into the debt thing. What are we yeah. dealing with now when we look at college graduates? Where does debt stand and how is that preventing some of the most educated portion of our country from reaching that middle class or higher class status? Well, for many years now, I'd say upwards of a decade, we've had like a really large public outcry about the amount of student debt that we have. I think prior to the pandemic, we were at something like $1.6 trillion. And I say prior to the pandemic because things really shifted when President Trump and then President Biden put a hold on all student loan repayments. So there's been a, a dramatic swing in what needs to be paid back of that debt. So first, I want to say a lot of that debt is good debt. When people make investments in degrees, 
that pay dividends in terms of earnings opportunities, I have no issue with that. Someone coming out of a bachelor's degree with about $30,000 in debt, which is in fact what we're seeing on average, that's still a pretty solid deal as long as that degree is one that leads towards employment outcomes. So reasonable levels of borrowing are not something that we should be losing sleep over, but what we should be losing sleep over is the trajectory that we're on. We're headed toward massive levels of debt and we see Democratic lawmakers especially lobbying for setting up programs so that borrowers never have to pay back that debt. So with that sort of solution in place, we're only bound to spiral out of control. We do know, and I think this is kind of common sense, that some majors just don't deliver people into occupations that allow them to make enough money to pay back their loans. So students need to be aware on that dimension. But I'll say the biggest source of risk is actually that students don't finish. Um, Mm -hmm. We see only about two-thirds of students who start their degrees will finish. And so when you have that debt, but not the extra earnings potential that comes with the degree, and that's where we're seeing some of the problems come from. Do you think that there is an overselling of college that students and and I I, look, I'm a beneficiary of college. I would not be where I am today if I did not get my degree. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. But do you think that there is an overselling to different communities of college without the education around what it means to take on debt, what Mm -hmm. it means to go through college and what degrees afterward will actually be worth it? Are we selling a promise without fully explaining all that goes into it? I completely think we're selling a promise without giving all of the fine print. And I think people are getting themselves into trouble because they are receiving the message that they will achieve the American dream unless they go down this path, which is fundamentally false. Statistically, it's false. And so, um, you know, there's a line that Pete Buttigieg once said in a Democratic primary debate many moons ago. Somebody said, what are you going to do about college being unaffordable? And he said, we may need to make it affordable to not go to college. And I think that's absolutely right. Affordable financially, but also socially affordable. We need to let people know it's okay if they choose not to go to college, because for some people, that's the better path. And there's a lot of great paths out there outside of traditional degrees. And let's talk about those other paths, because we're starting to see some of them gain traction. Um, When you look at two-year degrees, trade degrees, what are we seeing in that space in terms of growth and attractiveness? Well, we're seeing people move into those spaces. We're continuing to see slow but constant innovation in this space. I like to always say, you know, who is it that decided that in order to be worthy of the labor market, you have to have four years of education that look like a bachelor's degree? It's sort of a crazy idea. And I think we're seeing the marketplace respond to that, offering apprenticeship programs, sub-baccalaureate certificate programs, things that are about imparting skill and about funneling people into workplaces that they want to be in. Um, and when they you know, target that as the goal rather than this educational standard, sometimes they can achieve that goal more efficiently and at lower cost to the individual. So I think that's what we're seeing is that people are saying, okay, maybe if I take away this kind of sheen around education and I focus on what I want to get to, which is an earnings that will support my family, um, there may be a better path. And I hope that's what we continue to see. Right. And we are starting to see it. We have some numbers. We see trades on the rise between 2021 and 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, Do we think that there needs to be more social awareness around these programs or does there also need to be government intervention so that we see these options as viable? 
I tend to think what's more necessary in this case is a cultural shift. So we're in a moment where high schools are celebrating students who get into different colleges, putting it on their social media. We've got the big Instagram reveal day when people celebrate which college they're going to. I think we have done a disservice to the vast majority of this country who has built their financial well-being um, on work and labor instead of through education by not celebrating that as a viable pathway. So I think we need to do more just culturally to celebrate that path. I think that there has been some progress in acknowledging and allowing people to be more explicit about what they want from education, which is earnings, which is the ability to support a family. We know from data and surveys that about 90% of people who go to college go because they want to make more money. And that's perfectly fine. But if you talk to colleges about what they do, they say their mission is to create global citizens and, you know, contribute to humanity and all these sorts of lofty goals. So, you know, allowing institutions to be explicit about what they're trying to do and matching them with students who can freely admit without shame their goal of being able to make more money. I think that gets us closer to a more perfect system. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of more money, colleges have been unabashed in their pursuit for more money from their students. When you take a look at the numbers, we've seen four-year institution, the cost has increased by 79% since 1995. So why has the price of college gone up so much in about 30 years? Gosh, I wish they had the answer to that question for you. I think the truth is that the job that colleges are doing has gotten harder. We've asked a lot more of them. We're no longer sending just students from, you know, privileged, very well-educated backgrounds. They're needing to figure out how to educate students who previously weren't, you know, prepared for college. That does, in fact, take more resources. So I'll give them that. There is some need for them to do different things than they were doing before. But I think there's also other factors. Um, One, I'm concerned that as credit has been available through federal programs um, and that lack of transparency in pricing, that they're able to kind of take advantage of that and allow prices to creep up without students really even realizing. I think also when we have sold college degrees as this golden ticket, um, we've sort of, you know, created a, a monopoly for colleges to be able to charge whatever they want because students have a feeling like this is their only way to get ahead. And that's a pretty bad dynamic to set up in a marketplace. So I think moving away from those um, and increasing transparency um, can push us in the right direction. Yeah, I definitely think there is so much value to increase transparency. Again, because if you lock yourself in, you're one, you're now dealing with four years. And for those of us that have gone to college or have students that are going to college, you know that they love to increase the price of tuition potentially four times over your four years. And I think that's, you know, in part why you hear the federal government calling for, you know, large scale student loan forgiveness, um, this idea that students or families didn't fully know what they were getting into. And now Mm -hmm. Biden saying, you know, we want we want to forgive that. But I'll end with this. Can loan forgiveness be that viable long term option to address the college affordability issue that we're clearly dealing with? I very firmly believe that that is not the answer. It's going to exacerbate the problems that we have in place today in terms of people being unresponsive to the prices that they see being charged by institutions. It's going to allow institutions to continue to charge higher prices year after year because they know that their students will never pay it back. And we're going to end up having this same conversation in two, three years, and then again and again and again. So we need fundamental reform that's going to make our our system work better. 
Well, that's Dr. Beth Akers, senior fellow at AEI, former White House staff economist and author of Making College Pay. Beth, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. This week marks the 50th anniversary of Billie Jean King's Battle of the Sexes win over Bobby Riggs in what is still the most watched match in tennis history. On September 20th, 1973, she faced Riggs, the former number one ranked men's player who boasted he could beat any women's player. King's 6-4-6-3-6-3 victory at the Astrodome in Houston was seen by an estimated 90 million people, with King realizing the damage that could be done if those tuning in saw a man who was then 55 beat a top woman. King, a tennis hall of famer and activist, was a driving force behind the creation of the Women's Pro Tour, equal prize money for men and women, and the passage of Title IX. Now there's a push to honor her in Congress. Senators Kirsten Gillibrand of New York, Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia, and Kirsten Cinema of Arizona introduced a bill this week that would award King the congressional goal. Medal. It previously has been given to athletes such as baseball players Jackie Robinson and Roberto Clemente and golfers Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer. Senator Gillibrand believes the bill will receive enough support for the two-thirds needed in the Senate and the same majority in the House of Representatives, where the companion bill currently has more than 80 co-sponsors, according to the U.S. Tennis Association. Gillibrand hopes it can be accomplished before the end of the year. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services Marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Paul Patera. What's on your mind? If you're a regular moviegoer, you might have noticed there's something you haven't seen in a while. 
Reports indicate we're likely to reach year's end without the release of a full-featured G-rated movie, a growing industry trend attributed by Hollywood insiders and watchers to a wide range of reasons attached to an ever-evolving entertainment market. But none more than one, and that's an increasing disregard and disinterest in nurturing the hearts and minds of children. Now, the current Motion Picture Association film rating system dates to 1968. To qualify for a G rating, movies cannot include anything that would offend parents for viewing by children. Now, such a designation is subjective, but like the Supreme Court once said of pornography, it might be difficult to define, but most people know what's offensive for little eyes when they see it with their own. Now, maybe not surprisingly, the top 10 highest grossing G-rated movies of all time, not adjusted for inflation, come from Disney. The Lion King holds the top spot, followed closely behind by Toy Story 3 and Finding Nemo. Once upon a time, the Walt Disney Company had its finger on the pulse of America's parents and kids. No more. In recent years, they've been more concerned with appeasing the woke mafia than pleasing moms, dads, and children. As parents of young children over the last decade, my wife and I have struggled to find wholesome films to watch with our boys. Now, any family who enjoys a good, clean movie will exhaust their options rather quickly. And by good and clean, I primarily mean films void of profanity, sexual innuendo, and gratuitous violence. It's nearly inconceivable to me why we need to so often go back decades to find movies that inspire and entertain. Hits like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Sound of Music, and Mary Poppins are classics that have stood the test of time and appeal to audiences of all ages, but they were all made before I was even born. Some argue studios are responding to market realities, and the fact that young families are more likely to stay home and stream their entertainment from other sources. Since older audiences are now more likely to go to the theater, there's less incentive to produce G-rated content. But this theory belies the reality that families have demonstrated a willingness to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on movies that don't offend their or their children's sensibilities. Now, if we want to change and soften the coarseness of culture, one of the very best ways is to encourage Hollywood to produce content that will not only generate a profit, but that won't come at the expense of children's minds and morals. Despite what too many industry executives see to think and believe today, box office history demonstrates it's possible to produce films that feed and develop healthy young minds and also generate hearty corporate bottom lines. For Focus on the Family, I'm Paul Batura. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.